Almighty God, we thank you that you are a God who speaks to us by your word. We pray by your spirit now you would be at work in our hearts. Lord, mould and shape us into the likeness of your Son. Show us where we are more interested in our own comfort than in serving you. And lead us to give, not only of our money as many have this morning and through the week, but also of our lives, that we might give everything that we have, all that we are, to you, our Lord and Saviour. And we pray that you would use what we give to achieve your purposes in this world, to lift the name of Jesus Christ high here in Nottingham and around the globe. For his glory we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, just down the road from where I live, there is a signpost uh, that has always made me chuckle. Here it is. I have to say uh, that as a walker, I find it very empowering. Uh, I can go in, in pretty much any direction I like from this point. But I do think that this signpost is a, a good picture of how our culture sometimes presents our path through life. There are many different routes, as many as, as there are people, we're told. Each and every one of us has the power to choose the path we want. And no one can tell us otherwise. If it works for you, if it feels good, well, go for it. You do you. That's the message of our culture. And yet the message of Scripture, and the message of 2 Timothy in particular, is that if we are to persevere in the faith, if God's church is to be resilient from generation to generation, well, then it really matters which direction we go. It really matters which way we follow. All through this series, we've been asking the question, what will Cornerstone Church be like in 30 years' time, in, in 2053? And the answer to that question will be fundamentally determined by the direction that we will take in the years ahead, by the way that we individually and corporately follow. And our passage today gives us two possible directions, two ways of life that are governed by different organizing principles, two approaches that are fundamentally rooted in different priorities. The choice that Paul lays before Timothy in these verses, the choice laid before each one of us, whether we're in church leadership or whether we are simply a follower of Christ, is stark. Will we follow the way of comfort or the way of the cross? First then, the way of comfort. Let's read again from verse 1. 
But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Well, for centuries, older generations have been critical of young people. The Greek poet Hesiod, writing in about 700 BC, said that he could see no hope for the future of our people if they are dependent on the frivolous youth of today. For certainly all youth are reckless beyond words. Or Peter the Hermit, they had good names back then, didn't they? Peter the Hermit in 1274 reckoned that the young people of today think of nothing but themselves. They have no reverence for parents or old age. They are impatient of all restraint. They talk as if they knew everything. And what passes for wisdom with us is foolishness with them. And so, uh, with his reference to disobedience to parents, is Paul just aligning himself here with generations of grumpy old men? Quick to criticize and, and to dismiss those who will come after him. Well, no. I think there are a couple of clues that, that reveal to us that Paul is speaking here about something far broader, far deeper than simply a complaint against the young. You see, he begins by telling Timothy that there will be terrible times in the last days. This is not just a moan about one specific generation. Whatever that, sorry, whenever that phrase, the last days, is used in the New Testament, we see that it refers to the whole time between Christ's ascension to heaven and his return, that whole church age. Paul wants us to see that, that his warning is not just for one time in, in one place, but is for all of humanity in the age in which we live. In these last days, there will be terrible times. Not that everything will be as bad as it could be in every way all the time. But there will be a recurring theme of terrible circumstances. That this age will be characterized by what we see described here. That it will be a permanent feature of the church age. That people, dead in their transgressions and sins, will live like this that people will follow this way. And secondly, Paul's description is much deeper than those others we heard. Because he doesn't just describe behavior, he begins to unpick the root cause, the deep failure that lies behind this disastrous and destructive way of life. I wonder, did you notice just how much of the language is about love? People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, without love for others, not lovers of good, 
lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. The heart of the issue here is the heart. The real problem for these people is, is not so much what they do, but rather that what they do is a symptom of a much deeper, much more serious issue. What they do is a symptom of the fact that they are following the way of comfort. Their whole lives rotate around themselves. How they can, can get ahead, get more, get their own way. Each of the behaviors here speaks of, of a profound self-obsession. A disregard for others and a, and a disregard for God and his laws. People will be lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. And we don't have to look far, do we, to see that Paul was not only speaking about the generation Timothy would know in his day. Now, it's fairly evident that this is a description, too, of our times. The fundamental issue in our society today is one of love. Love is love, we're told. But, of course, what matters is what it is that you love. The materialism that, that pervades every corner of our culture today is driven by a love of money and possessions. The scheming and plotting, lying and deception that characterizes our politics is rooted in a love of power and recognition. And the terrible pain and confusion wrought by our society's sexual ethic has come about because of the love of pleasure at all costs. I must be allowed to do what makes me happy. In these last days, oh, there's love, all right. But it is a love for self, not for God or for others. In these last days, the way of comfort is very common. But friends, here's the thing. Here's the, the truly shocking part of what Paul says here. It's not just them out there that pursue the way of comfort. It's not just a problem for the world at large. It is a problem much closer to home. Let's read on from verse 5. People will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and, and gain control over gullible women, who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. These people are in the church. In fact, some of them are in leadership in the church. They have a form of godliness, an outward veneer. But they know nothing of the true power of the gospel at work in their lives. 
It's likely that, that Paul was referring in verse 6 to, to specific homes and specific women. Perhaps the, the wealthy women of the large homes that the church in Ephesus met in. And their issue is not that they are women, but rather that they have taken these false teachers in. Perhaps as, as kind of live-in theological tutors in order to feed their craving for debate and controversy. It's not that a desire for learning is a bad thing, but a constant hopping from one religious fad to the next, never settling on the truth of the gospel. Well, that speaks of folly and gullibility. These women were being led astray by false teachers who were obsessed with their own comfort, driven by love of self rather than by love for God. Just as Paul predicted, these issues didn't stop in first century Ephesus. J.C. Ryle recognized the issue in, in 19th century Britain. He said this, look in another direction at those hundreds of people whose religion seems to consist in talk and high profession. They know the theory of the gospel intellectually and profess to delight in evangelical doctrine. They can say much about the soundness of their own views and the darkness of all who disagree with them, but they never get any further. When you examine their inner lives, you find that they know nothing of practical godliness. They are neither truthful, nor charitable, nor humble, nor honest, nor kind-tempered, nor gentle, nor unselfish, nor honorable. What shall we say of these people? They are Christians, no doubt, in name, and yet there is neither substance nor fruit in their Christianity. There is but one thing to be said. They are formal Christians. Their religion is an empty form. And we see it still today, don't we? So-called Christian leaders who, who talk a good game, who make much of their theological credentials, but who are eventually exposed as the veneer cracks and the self-serving, self-centered truth is revealed. Bullying, abuse of power, embezzlement, sexual immorality. It all speaks of a love for self rather than a love for God and for his people. Verse 8, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. Janus and, and Jambres were the traditional names of the magicians in Pharaoh's court, the ones who performed their own tricks as Moses and Aaron presented their signs to the Egyptian king. And I wonder if you can remember from that story, initially they kept up with the miracles that God sent to confirm his message. Aaron turned his staff into a snake and so did the magicians. Aaron stretched out that, that staff over the Nile and turned it to blood. The magicians too turned water to blood. But before long, their 
powers of illusion and deception were exposed for what they were. Nothing compared to the real power of Yahweh, the only true and living God. And so it will be for those who pursue the way of comfort, those who love themselves rather than God. You see, they may for a while know some success. They may gather a following, draw donations, get a book deal, make a name for themselves. But sooner or later, Paul says, sooner or later, they will be exposed, just like Janus and Jambres. Verse 9, but they will not get very far, because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You see, the way of comfort is only comfortable for a while. Paul's warning to Timothy is that eventually these false teachers will come to ruin. These are, are not the opponents who must be gently instructed at the end of chapter 2 because these teachers do not repent. Instead, they continue on their path of serving self rather than serving God. So Timothy is to have nothing to do with such people. As far as the faith is concerned, they are rejected. But here's the, the truly humbling, sobering message of this passage. Where Cornerstone Church will be in 30 years' time will depend on you and on me. It will depend on us regularly choosing not to pursue the way of comfort. Not to indulge in these self-serving, destructive habits. How easy it will be in the years ahead for us to choose the way of comfort. To seek first power or status or the approval of the world around us. How easy for, for those of us in leadership to become boastful and proud or brutal and unforgiving. And how easy for all of us who are led to opt for a, a vague and an ambiguous commitment to faith rather than to the specifics of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All because it will make our lives in this world, in this culture, just a little more pleasant just that little more comfortable. Friends, if Cornerstone Church is to remain faithful to the calling we have been given, then we must resist that temptation. We must examine our hearts and ask where our first love lies. Is it with ourselves? With our own advancement and success? 
with our own security and status? Or is our first love for God? For his good, pleasing and perfect will? For the good that he would have us do in the lives of those around us? And for the good news of Jesus Christ that he would have us faithfully proclaim. We are called to reject the way of comfort. And to opt instead for the way Paul urged Timothy to pursue. The way Paul himself trod. Verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You see, there is another way, another love that can drive and direct and and shape our lives. If love for self leads to the way of comfort, well then this alternative love, a love for God, will make our lives in this world profoundly uncomfortable. That was Paul's experience. It would be Timothy's too, and I pray it will be ours as well. Because you see, before all that, it was the experience of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. The alternative to the way of comfort is the way of the cross. You see, we've already heard that that Paul and Timothy go way back. And Timothy knows. He has seen over years the suffering that Paul has endured for the gospel. The persecutions he has gone through. But he also knows why. Just look again at, at that list in verse 10. Paul's teaching was about Jesus. His way of life, modelled on Jesus. His purpose, to make Jesus known. His faith in Jesus. His patience, born out of a desire to see people come to know Jesus. His love for Jesus. His endurance, empowered by Jesus. Timothy could look at Paul and he could see what it looked like to love Jesus Christ. He could see what it looked like to be a lover of God rather than a lover of self. And what it looked like for Paul was persecutions and sufferings. As he looked at Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, 
scorning its shame. So Paul too was empowered to look ahead to what was to come and so endure suffering and persecution in this life. And it's not only Paul. Verse 12 couldn't be much more universal. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone. Not just the apostles who established the church. Not just the, the generations of church leaders to whom they passed the baton. No, everyone. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So that means me. And it means you, if you're a follower of Christ. Now I know that, that in his mercy, the Lord has, has placed you and me in a time and, and in a country where we don't know anything like the levels of persecution that our brothers and sisters throughout the centuries and across the world have known and, and still know to this day. But friends, if we can speak as though we know nothing of persecution or suffering for the gospel, then I think we have to wonder if we are too often choosing the way of comfort. If we have never known exclusion or pity or dismissal because of our allegiance to Jesus, if we have never known the, the role of the eyes from a colleague or a neighbor, the avoidance of a, a friend or relative, the derision of a, a lecturer or classmate, if we have never experienced that, then that ought to cause us to assess our choices in this world. Are we truly committed to living a godly life in Christ Jesus? Are we truly committed to loving him first and following him? Following him in the way of the cross. You see, we don't choose persecution, but we do choose Christ. And everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And in the next 30 years, or whatever else happens here, I guarantee you that Cornerstone Church, together and as individuals within the church, we will face time and time again the choice of the way of comfort or the way of the cross. And if we choose to follow Jesus Christ, then we will know persecution. We will be ill thought of in this city. We will be slandered on, on message boards and blogs. We will be despised as, as old-fashioned and out of date. We will be dismissed as religious nuts. We will be ostracized from friendships, excluded from families. And it does not seem as though it will be long before we will face legal consequences 
for staying faithful to the word of God and societal penalties for, for loving him first. By 2053, that may well be where we find ourselves. And yet I am also confident of this. That if we choose to follow our Savior, Jesus Christ, to walk in his way, as we choose the way of the cross, so he will equip and empower us to endure, to stand in the face of, of any persecution or opposition. And he will rescue us from them all through his comforting present with, presence with us now and through our full and final vindication on the day he returns. Friends, in the next 30 years, we will face countless situations where we could take any number of paths. But in reality, there will only ever be two options. To love ourselves or to love God. There will only ever be two routes the way of comfort or the way of the cross. So let us join Timothy in following Paul as he follows Christ in the way of the cross. And let us rejoice that as evildoers and imposters go from bad to worse, those who follow Christ may look forward to the glory that awaits those who endure, to the crown that comes only after the cross. Let's pray. Oh, loving Heavenly Father, we live in many ways such comfortable lives. We thank you that we do not know yet. We do not endure here the suffering that many of our brothers and sisters have throughout the ages and across this world today. And yet, Lord, we pray that day by day you might empower us by your Spirit to choose the way of the cross and to reject the way of comfort. Show us what it means to speak up for Jesus Christ, to be known as lovers of him, to be seen as those whose first allegiance is to Jesus. Lord, in your mercy, in your grace, give us strength to endure when that brings suffering and persecution. And give us hope to hold on to that which you have secured for us through him in the world to come. Teach us to look on him
to look on him who for the glory set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Teach us to follow him in the way of the cross. Amen.